crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Grow Show. Since this is our last episode of 2016, everyone here at The Grow Show was feeling a little nostalgic. So we wanted to take you back and remember a few of our favorite moments from the show this year. There's a lot here. We talk about the chaos that went into making the movie Frozen, words of advice from a basketball legend, and much, much more. I'm Kip Bodner. And this is The Gross Show. First up is a story from Patty McCord. Patty is the former chief talent officer at Netflix. As some of you might know, Netflix has changed the conversation in the U.S. about company culture. Sheryl Sandberg called their culture deck, quote, one of the most important documents to come out of Silicon Valley. Back in August, Patty told us the story about how it all came together. She calls it the Netflix story. The Netflix story was we had hired a bunch of people. We weren't really sure what the business model was. We spent a bunch of VC money sort of exploring around trying to figure out what our business was going to be. And then in 2000, we were going to go public and we were going to be rich. We were going to have private planes and blah. And the bubble burst and it didn't happen and we ran out of money. And the bankers pulled the IPO, the Bay economy went to hell, September 11th happened, and we thought we were going to die. And so we cut back on everything that we could, and we realized that in order to survive, and I'm not talking about thrive, I'm talking survive. Exist. Uh, uh, exist, right? We laid off a third of the company, and we focused our business only on one thing, which was renting DVDs by mail mm-hmm. and using the subscription service. And it was a really, you know, it wasn't a very big company at the time, but still a third of the employees, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, right? It's bad. And um, what happened was uh, that Christmas DVD players dropped to $99, and everybody got one. And uh, everybody stayed home because they were scared or out of work (laughs) and and watched movies and our business took off. So now, you know, because we're growing so rapidly and we're being so successful, we're burning money even faster. So we had to spend, literally spend all the money that we were earning on making the business better by buying more product, by, by hiring more shipping and receiving people. And I couldn't really hire anybody in the corporate headquarters. And we were doing twice as much work with a third as many people. And it was more fun. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. I mean, seriously, we were getting twice as much work done. And I thought, what the hell is going on? So I kind of started my rest of my life study about more anthropologically looking at what's the difference between, you know, a small team and a medium team and a large team and a global team? How do they operate? What are the what are the constants and what are the things that change in them? And here's what I discovered that's remained true for me about the constants. The constants are that if you have incredible focus 
and you have a really shared sense of what your metrics are, meaning not only what are you trying to achieve, what success going to look like, but also what does quality look like? Mm-hmm. If it not just if it's great, but if it's amazing and it's and it feels great, mostly for our customers. What will be different than that's happening now? And that clarity around vision and success and metrics and quality aligned with time allows you to put together amazing teams. So when I talk about it, I say, you know, the most important thing to having a great team is to know what your what greatness is. <laughs> right yeah. and if you if you look at greatness and you have time attached to it that's one thing that startups often don't do because it's hard right yeah. so when you're when you're a little company you're like we're going to be great someday And it can mean, you know, next Thursday or in 20 years. I mean, you don't really know because you're making shit up, right? But the more you can focus on maybe six-month goals, the more you can get teams really aligned. And if you have that clarity, then the people on the team can make good decisions. And you want to have the clarity be clear enough so that people can go, should I do this or this? Oh, wait a minute. In six months, we're trying to achieve this. This is what goodness looks like. It's going to make our customers happy. Oh, that's easy. We've talked a lot about growth this year. One of the key things that I think Patty says here is understanding what greatness is and what the time horizon is. And I think what I've found is that as you grow and as you scale, Your time horizons can get longer. In the very early days of a startup, you might be defining greatness on a weekly or monthly basis. As you get bigger and bigger, you'll go from weekly or monthly to every quarter, maybe every six months, then every year, and then maybe over the course of a couple years because you're tackling bigger and bigger problems that have longer horizons to actually achieve them. Awesome advice from Patty. Next up is Neil Pasricha. Neil's the author of the happiness equation. The book goes deep on the research behind positive psychology. It's a good how-to guide for ways to uncomplicate your life. And it's also just a really fun read. My co-host, Megan Keeney Anderson, chatted with Neil back in March. Here he is explaining how the book actually happened. It was through kind of like nine months of deep struggle <laughs> that I came to these nine secrets because short stories that my wife told me she was pregnant on the airplane home from our honeymoon. She wasn't feeling well and actually did a pregnancy test in the airplane bathroom. So I, we landed at home and, and my thought was, okay, what do you want for your kid? And I thought, well, I want my child to have a happy life. So I ended up writing a 300-page Word document over those nine months struggling every morning at 5 a.m. for a thousand words before I went to work. And that letter is the happiness equation. So that that book you have in your hands, it is the letter I originally wrote for my son. But there's there's another story from Neil's episode that also stands out to us and might be good if you're on the hunt for a New Year's resolution. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? I got to figure mine out. Neil also had a lot more to say about his wife, Leslie including these two really sweet stories about her. With Leslie and I, romance is really important to both of us and trying to make sure that we, it sounds so funny to talk about like this, but like, how do you make sure you always have romance in, in, your, in your relationship? So I'm on book tour now. I opened my suitcase when I landed in New York and there was a hidden package and it said, here's some letters 
for when you're having these thoughts. And one envelope's called, you know, when you're having a really stressful day. One envelope's called when you miss me. One envelope's called when you want to give our son a kiss. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. And, and each envelope, and I haven't opened them all yet, but whenever I'm feeling that, I open it and she's written like a note for that's me to read cool. in each of those instances. So it's like, and like that creates so much love and energy for me on this trip. You know, we're always trying to think about little ideas like that. Another one we have is called Rose, Rose, Thorn, Bud. Have you heard of that before? No. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I'd shared earlier in the podcast about the importance of having a, you know, saying five gratitudes a week and how that can really increase your happiness. Well, before Leslie and I turn up the, the light at the end of the night, she says a rose from her day, which is one thing she's grateful for. Uh, I say a rose from my day. We do that again. Yeah. We each say a thorn, which is something that, you know, we want to get off our chest or something just annoying that bothered us, but it feels a little good to talk about. And then we say a bud, which means something we're looking forward to. And since it's at the end of the day, it's okay to sort of live not in the present, but in the future for a second because the day is over. Yeah. And and we turn off the light. And literally what we've done is four gratitudes because those are the roses. And remember, I told you that the minimum effective dose is just five a week. So <laughs> it's, we're already like, you know, you're already kind of over, over cranking on that. And then you've, you've got a thorn off your chest. And as long as a thorn doesn't turn into a 27-minute conversation, then you end, you end with a bud, and it feels great. Yeah. And it's, it's just a little model to end the day that, I, that we really enjoy. All right, moving right along. This year, we also got the chance to interview basketball legend Bill Walton. For those of you who don't know who he is, let me sound off on some of Bill's stats. Bill is a legendary college basketball player. He played for freaking John Wooden. Come on. An award-winning former NBA player who has played for the Portland Trailblazers, the San Diego Clippers, and the Boston Celtics. He won two NBA championships. During his career, Bill got the chance to play for the Wizard of Westwood, a.k.a. John Wooden, which I mentioned a second ago. Here's a bit of his conversation with Brian Halligan, one of HubSpot's co-founders. John Wooden was this guy who was an English teacher by profession. John Wooden never spoke about basketball, never talked about winning. We never watched film. He never used the blackboard. He never had a play. He never called timeout. In four years playing for him, he mentioned the other team twice. We lost both games. Thanks a lot, coach. <laughs> but here was a guy who gave up his life, really more than most of anybody I've ever come across, Gave up his life so that other people's dreams could come true. It wasn't always that way for a coach, wouldn't it? Because he was the first great player. And when you're a player and you're that guy, as Larry Bird was on our team, Larry Bird, who one of the seven greatest players in the history of basketball, when you're that guy, you have to think about yourself. You have to think about leading that charge and being the point of the spear, the top of the pyramid. But then Coach Wooden, as happens to everybody, he had to stop playing because of injuries and because he was getting older. And so then he became a teacher and ultimately a coach. Let's just say you're CEO of a company today. What can you take away from Coach Wooden? Think of the dream of how you get to where you want to go. The number one way to do that is to ask somebody who's on their way back. Coach Wooden was an incredible questioner. He loved to ask questions. Mm. So Coach Wooden, he had his foundation, which he tried to give to us, which was based on his pyramid of success, 15 human values and personal characteristics that he thought were important in terms of who you are. Industriousness, enthusiasm, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, intentness, initiative, alertness, self-control, physical fitness, skill development, commitment to the team, poise, confidence, and competitive greatness. Years later, he added two other words, 
faith and patience. So you remember all those? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> His four laws of learning. Demonstration, imitation, correction, and repetition. What's that mean? Say it again. Demonstration. Show somebody. Imitation. The student replicates what they've just been shown. Sure. Co- correction. Mm-hmm. The adjustments, the modifications that the teacher shows you where you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then repetition. And that's how you learn. Tell anything. me about practice with him. Practice was phenomenal. We couldn't wait to get there. It was so organized. It was so structured. It was so disciplined. He wrote everything down on a 3 by 5 card and everything was done by the clock. And we knew as players, we knew when it started and we knew when it ended. And it never went a second over. Mm-hmm. He often ended it early. But every time we would do anything, and he's pushing and he's driving us, we never stopped for instruction. If you couldn't get it, you were pulled to the side and an assistant coach would work with you on something. But in the course of the action, the toughest thing, the most demanding, the most challenging physical exercise and challenge that I've ever faced in my life in terms of no water, no towels, no chairs, no talking other than the incessant chatter of encouragement and positive support, and then his high-pitched voice over the top with the instructions, the direction, criticism, but always encouragement. I think as you're thinking about how you can better lead your team, there's just a ton of really great nuggets in that clip. It was so awesome to have Bill Walton on the show. All right, next is Charles Duhigg. Charles is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist from the New York Times. He is also the author of The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better. He came on the show to talk about what makes some people and some teams more productive than others. I really love this story from Charles where he explains a team he saw as being the uber example of a hardworking and productive team. You know, actually Disney. Disney, tell us about them. Disney is an amazing company. So, so in the book, we tell the story of the making of Frozen. And all of us are familiar with Frozen, right? If you have oh, any yes. kids, you've heard like, let it go a thousand times. <laughs> so we know Frozen is this hit movie. What's fascinating is that Frozen was essentially on the brink of catastrophe until weeks before it was done and it appeared in theaters. Most animated films at Disney, they have five years to be made. Frozen had two because another movie fell through. And so they had to rush the production. And they didn't actually even know how the movie ended until (laughs) until literally days before they had to start sending the film out to theaters so they could start loading (laughs) it and processing it. And the thing about Disney, though, is that Disney has this basic belief, which is it does not matter how creative people are. What matters is how creative the process is. That there's no such thing as a creative or uncreative person. There is a process that is designed to make innovation more productive. And if you buy into that process and you commit to it, you will get something good that comes out the other end. And what the process says is essentially two things. It says, first of all, instead of trying to come up with something completely new, rely on what you already know. Okay. Right? And and in the case of Disney and Frozen, The filmmakers who are like all freaking out and trying to figure out how to put this movie together in like record time, they sat down and they, in the process said, tell me what you already know. And they said, look, what we know is this. Number one, we know princesses, right? Disney knows princesses. We've got 70 years of institutional knowledge on how princesses work. (laughs) It's true. And number two, we know sisters. Because it turns out that there was an unusually large number of women working on Frozen. In fact, mm-hmm. the first female director in Disney's history was the Frozen co-director. Mm-hmm. 
And so the team sat down and they said, okay, we know princesses and we know sisters. The process tells us that what we should do is take what we know and instead of trying to create something brand new, just try and jam those ideas together in a new way. So what if instead of using a traditional princess story where the prince comes in and he rescues the princess who's in distress, what if instead the princesses saved each other? And what if they were sisters? What if there was this like tension between them and they're both princesses and they end up saving each other in the end? And in fact, if we did that, the prince could actually be the bad guy. And maybe we don't even reveal he's the bad guy till the end of the movie. And that's Frozen, <laughs> yeah, right? And absolutely. like when you, when any of us have seen Frozen, it seems like this incredibly innovative, you're like, wow, this is so clever and creative <laughs> and like I never saw this coming. But like it's not that, it's not yeah. rocket science. But the reason why that happened is because Disney says we have a process. Now here's the other thing that Disney says. Disney says, if you are feeling a lot of tension and anxiety, that is good. Because tension that's and anxiety... Totally means that you're getting closer and closer to the right answer. Mm -hmm. If you feel relaxed, that means that you're not challenging. You're not finding anything new. And most of our instincts is that when we feel anxious and we feel tense to think that like we're doing something wrong. Yeah, but it's human we, nature. Exactly. Right. But what Disney says is that's a symptom of success. So you should lean into that tension. Be okay with that ambiguity and that anxiety because something good is going to come out the other end. Huh. Process over people. I don't think that's what I was expecting to hear when he first told me that. You know, you picture Disney as this place full of creatively brilliant people. But he walked through kind of the value of the process. And yeah, you have to have great people. And yeah, those, those people need to have the awareness to properly go through that process. But man, it also really shows the importance of having a clear process to solve the problems that you're trying to solve. Okay, to wrap things up, we're going to talk about Rick Ridgway. Rick is a mountaineer and an adventurer. He's an environmentalist, a writer, a filmmaker. I could go on and on, really. But most people know Rick as the VP of Environmental Affairs at Patagonia. Here's what he said when Megan, my co-host, asked him about what the best day of his career was. <laughs> you know, that one is is so hard to pull out because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of good days here almost all of them are just great yeah uh, i think i think one of the highlights of my work life right now is that every morning when i come to work i come to work with my granddaughter whose mother our oldest daughter was the first kid in patagonia's daycare center Oh, back wow. in the early 80s. She's child number one. And now her daughter's here, my granddaughter. And I get to bring her to work every day. And that makes every day the best day at Patagonia. I mean, it really does. It's, it's magical for me. But of course, like all of us, you know, we're, we got our ups and downs. I was in a meeting with our CEO, Rose, yesterday. And she put her arm around me and said, you know, how you doing? Because I've been through some, you know, really rough experiences yeah. in the last two months with uh, the death of my one of my very best friends, Doug Tompkins, in a kayaking accident that we were in together. And the company's really circled around me. And, you know, I told her that, you know what, this morning I came in with my little granddaughter, Coda, and then I got right to work. And I said, you know, today, this was yesterday, I said, yesterday was, it, it was, I, I'm back. Like, I'm back because all you guys are here for me. And I'm back because 
I'm doing such good work that really does make a difference and it is fulfilling. And that combination of good work with good colleagues is really ended up being good therapy for me right now to, to re-engage. So, you know, I get that kind of support from the company and, you know, I, I do my very best to give it back, just like everybody does here. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible that you have a company that supports you like that. And I'm so sorry to hear about your friend. Did you, did you take much time? Like, did you, what did you do in that time afterwards to recover and to sort of think about life after that accident? Yeah, when I got home, you know, Rose said, you know, that's our CEO. Rose said, take as much time off as you need. We're here for you, yeah. uh, not the other way around. You know, I, I, I came to work a few weeks later, and, and, it, and, and it was because I needed it. I needed, I needed, as I said a minute ago, I needed that good work with good people uh, was just what I needed to, to come back. And, uh, you know, this is not the first time I've come really close. I was in the water with Doug, and, you know, I made it and he didn't. Uh, but I was so hypothermic, I lost consciousness, and yeah. I, I came close to death very close one point I didn't think I was going to make it I I gave up but I've been there before uh I was in an avalanche with Yvonne when we both survived and uh one of our very best friends and companions uh wasn't so lucky and he died in my arms I've been there's a couple other incidents in my life as a outdoor adventure where I I've, I've actually gone over and kind of looked into the dark side where you didn't think you were going to come back and and I, and I have, so I, I've been there before, and I've discovered through, the, through those experiences that the ultimate and biggest value of them is what we should all be doing every day of our lives, and, and, and that is, as frequently as you can, pausing, just making a little pause uh, to look around you, to acknowledge the good people around you, to acknowledge the beauty around you, even as simple as standing outside and feeling, feeling the, the sun warm your skin, that learning how to take the most value from the simplest things in our life, it, it really is the, the secret sauce. And it's too bad that sometimes we have to almost die to remember to do those simplest things in our life and to, and to, to, and to, to just understand deeply the value of those small things because there's nothing small about them in that context. You know, for me, Rick is the perfect story to end this episode on because it's a story of perspective. Anytime you close out one year and go into another year, you, you should reflect and you should think about what you did well, what you didn't do well, but also you want to appreciate everything that's going on and the things that are going really well. And I think that's what Rick has an uncanny ability to do. He has an uncanny ability to have awesome perspective and focus on all the great things, despite having real memories of difficult times and very sad times. And that's something we can all learn from. And that's something that I think we can apply to both our personal and professional lives. And so I, my, my wish to all of you in, in 2017 is that you continue to grow, continue to learn, and can hopefully have some perspective like Rick has to, to continue to appreciate everything that you have. Thanks for joining us throughout this entire year on The Grow Show. It's been an awesome journey. We are so excited to be back with you in 2017.
Do you have anyone you want to hear more from? Is there anyone we should check back in with? Anybody we've talked to this year on the show that we should go back and interview again? If anyone comes to mind, tweet us or record a voice memo and email it to growthshow at hubspot.com. Make sure you include the person's name and what you want to hear from them. Happy New Year.